Well, fortunately, we get um, out of the noisy car and uh, onto the road walking. The uh, point at which I, I uh, interrupted or, or paused this conversation, I, I told you about Jonah. This guy who was called to do something, instead of reacting in anger and resentment, he was called to go and attempt to set a, situa set a situation right. And God gave him the, the, the hint that this is uniquely your job. Don't know why that is, but he, he believed that it was uniquely his job and he didn't want to do it. He ran away. His, all those around him got embroiled in a storm. And uh, then fish swallowed him. So my, my pattern is that what if... Instead of us looking at the facts of that story, which would happen when somebody would apply that story to us and say, well, hey, this is your job. You need to go do this. And we would say, well, you know, that, that's, that's a ridiculous claim. There's this big fish. That couldn't be. There's this storm that comes. This is all, this is all just a myth. It doesn't apply to real life. And I don't blame you. Somebody's trying to use a truth story to gain um, authority in your life. Um, I, I actually am more, um, I mean, I totally understand why you'd fight against that. But I will tell you that even though their motives may be wrong, there may be something you need to attend to. So even in that situation, I, uh, I would suggest it, it might be better to meet those truths. Uh, I mean, examine their their claims and see if, even though they don't have authority, there may be something that you should attend to. But I get it, okay? But the idea is that if you hear in this story of Jonah, you, you start to hear truth knocking on your your, your mind's door saying, hey, there's something you need to address. There is a relationship out there and you need to go and do something about it. And you're the person. Don't wait for somebody else. You go and you say, no, don't want to. That if you would decide to turn around and stop running away and attend to it, that you may find that you have a, a profound connection, that you are indeed exactly the person to deal with that problem. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe that's someone at work who you've been running away from resentfully. <laughs> we do that first, right? Okay, so you're resentfully running away. You aren't talking to them, but you're telling everyone else how miserable it is to be you um, working with this miserable person who has no clue of what's going on. And you finally decide to attend to them. 
Now, I cannot promise this. Don't take anything I say as, as trying to predict what's going to happen. But what if? What if you walked in as carefully as you could and you attended to them being a jerk? You might, it might be just as bad as you expected, all right? And, and, and I would say there's even a pretty good chance that it would be as miserable as you expected, that they would mock you, that they would oppose you, that they would tear you down. That, that, that is totally possible. So it might be good for you to look at the situation and be ready for that. But it is possible also that you might step into that situation and because you are exactly the right person, you might be able to do something in that situation which no one else could do. That'd be pretty amazing. You would get to be who you were meant to be in exactly the situation that you were meant to be in. There's a lot of ways that I could now analyze that, but it, it would come down basically to sort of the, the, the pinnacle of meaning. You ask, and we are, people are asking all the time, is, is life meaningful? And it's hard to say. I'm not sure. Maybe life is purposeless. But, but if you found something that you could do that made a difference, that, that was unique to you, you might have just this incredible, incredible dose of meaning. And maybe... This is, a, this is a, a thought that is almost haunting. Maybe meaning is the antidote to, to suffering. Maybe it is the ultimate good. If, if set against pain, which may be the ultimate, the ultimate negative reality. Okay, I promised you a story about me. It doesn't perfectly fit Jonah, okay? But I think it, it certainly brings up some of the, some of the suggestions that, that Jonah does. So I'm working um, at a job and, <clears throat> um, you know, coming, I've alluded to my background, I do a lot because that's who I am. So coming from a background with a lot of church, a lot of, a lot of people who value piety. Um, piety being sort of a morality, a moral standard that is um, that gains you some credibility with a, a larger community. So it's not a personal morality, but sort of corporate piety, um, roughly speaking. I was exposed to a level of 
language at this factory. I, I worked at a factory making garbage cans, okay? And I was exposed to a, a level of language that was, I mean, I had been to a, a, a secular college, but it was still nothing like what I experienced in, in the uh, factory. I, uh, now, just for background, I, I suppose because I was around the college um, environment, I had had to come to some conclusions about language, um, what I was going to speak, um, and what others would, and, and what I was going to be aghast at. And so I had done a, uh, I had done a minimal sort of analysis, and I, I realized that there's um, sort of a, a set of um, words that are inappropriate, and that some were, you know, obscene language, some were um, inappropriate scatologically or something like that. And then there was a category that was, according to the Old Testament, was morally wrong. And that was taking the name of the Lord your God in vain. And the thing that surprised me when I got to the factory is that, that basically, if, if you want to talk with foul language, that's, that's a reflection on you. But if you constantly are referring to God, uh, specifically, not just God, but ref to, to the concept of God. Somebody says, oh my God, they haven't named it, and their God may be whatever their God is. It, it, it technically isn't taking the name of a specific God. But I was at this, at this factory, and for some reason, the, the, every, every expression was connected with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ this, and Jesus Christ that. And I was thinking about it, and it's like, this is odd, but I... I, I, go ahead. R refer to obscenity. Refer to vulgarity. But why is that in any way connected to Jesus Christ? I, uh, I, I, I was frustrated. I thought, you know what? Maybe this is. Here's where it begins to intersect with the, uh, the Jonah story. I, maybe... Maybe I need to do something. Ooh, so what am I going to do? Well, I, I analyzed what I might do. You know, I might be that obnoxious guy who said, guys, guys, are really, that's not appropriate. So this nagging, whining voice that would, um, it would really probably accomplish nothing except it make them see followers of Jesus Christ as people who are pretty obnoxious and well to be avoided or mocked. So that was one option. There was another option, and that was I could simply ignore it. I could ignore the people saying that. The problem was that I found I couldn't completely ignore it. I would say something like this, that if I ignored it, I would ignore it um, 
but I would despise them. I don't know that I wasn't angry at them, but it was just so tempting to say, yeah, they are a bunch of godless losers with whom I want nothing to do with. And as proof of that, I could, I could submit that they constantly insulted with some of the, the horrible obscenities and vulgarities, the thing that was precious to me. So I could ignore it, but ignoring it would, would sort of put them in a, in a separate class. Roughly put, it was like I, they would ignore it. I would ignore it and see myself as superior to them. And that didn't seem like a good strategy, particularly since part of my um, mandate in terms of how I understood following Jesus Christ is that I am an ambassador for him. And, and so it would roughly come down to being an ambassador who obviously had nothing but disdain for the people he was supposed to connect with. Again, a bad strategy. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking, you know, I can, I can <clears throat> run away, get a different job, try to find a job at a place where, where people were more appropriate in their speech. Although that wasn't even really a good solution. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that this group of men were more, um, it was all men working. So I, I don't say men, um, it just happened to be that this job wasn't very appealing to anyone else, apparently, or maybe, who knows? I can't get down that rabbit trail. Anyway, it was men. <laughs> and these men who I worked with had no, um, I, I don't think were, were unusually opposed to the claims of Jesus Christ. They, so I could go to a, a, a job where nobody spoke um, the name of Jesus unless they meant it, and yet have a more, far more sophisticated um, antagonism to him. Um, it just running away didn't seem good. Being that guy who Oh, guys, don't swear, did not seem to be the, a, a good approach. And ignoring them and kind of like seeing myself in a different category didn't seem like a good plan. So, what am I going to do? I'm thinking about this, and, and I thought about, well, what is it that's wrong with it? I mean, they're, they're just saying... They're just saying it. They got used to saying it. You could get used to saying anything um, as a reaction. There, there is a very, just learned about this, there's a very specific circuit that that appears to be in our brain, that, that warning of threat. So roughly, something goes bad, there is like a, a, a sound, usually it's a, it's a very short sound, that is just ready to, ready to go before you even think or process it. it. It's your default warning because, well, in primates, it's a default warning to warn all the others. So, so apparently in monkeys, it's like they've got three words loaded on the tip of their tongue, ready to go. One for if a bird is attacking, 
one for if a climbing animal is attacking and one if a crawling animal is attacking. So snakes, cats, and, and birds of prey. Fascinating. Well, you know, apparently these people just had that word loaded in that place. I don't know. You could do a ton of analysis, but I was in the middle of it, so I, I did some analysis. I said, so, so what's wrong? They're making a sound. It happens to be a sound that, that refers to, to Jesus Christ, who is very important to me. Um, but what, what does it hurt? It could be any sound. So I thought about the command. Here's this command, and it says, Thou shalt not take the Lord, the name of the Lord your God, in vain. Roughly translated, that means do not say it when you don't mean it. That's a, a simple translation, but I said that and the light went on with me. So these people are, the problem is apparently, according to this reading of the old covenant law, is that these people are saying God's name in the person of Jesus Christ. They're saying it when they don't mean it. And that is a sin. And the idea that occurred to me is that I have this incredibly unique opportunity to take away their sin. They're saying the name Jesus Christ when they don't mean it. Well, what if I use that saying of the name of Jesus Christ as a reminder? So they're, they're just throwing it out there, and that seems to be the, the sin that the Ten Commandments talk of. So they're just, boom, throw out this name whenever. And I am taking it, and I'm saying, well, I'm going to make use of it. Well, how could I make use of it? Well, I decided that the way that I could make use of it is that whenever anyone said the name of Jesus Christ, that I would pray for them. I mean, not like stand up and, and pray, but I would just quietly in my mind, I would pray for the person who had said it. And then, even though I didn't know whether the prayer would do anything, I didn't know whether they wanted it to, but at least what I would be able to do is I would be able to take that useless saying of the word Jesus Christ and make it into a useful saying. It would not have been in vain. Now, I decided to do that. And, and you, could, you could do all sorts of analysis of why. Certainly, if you had told me before I started doing it that it was a psychological a psychological trick to keep myself from constantly thinking about this, I would not argue with you. It might have been that. And you know what? I would have been willing to do it as that. You know, maybe if each time somebody said it, I, I thought a prayer for them, then I could put everything into a box. I didn't constantly have to deal with it. So I'm not sure I thought it was that. I think I did. It's okay. This gives me something to do in response a little subroutine that I can program into myself. And instead of thinking about this, instead of being offended by this, I could say, okay, you do A, I do B. Instead of you do A and I try to figure out why you're doing A again for no purpose, 
because you must be crazy, or maybe I'm crazy, which is kind of what we do a lot of times. You do A, and I sit there and spin my wheels. And then you do A again, and then I sit there and spin my wheels some more. And then I'm getting worn out for nothing. So what did I decide to do? Well, I decided that I would say, when you do A, I do B. I won't, again, I mean, it was just that minimalist. I did not think anything would happen. Other than I could say, you do A, I do B, and we move on. You do A, I do B, and we move on. And, and this, this subroutine, although at the same time, I did sort of worry because it was, it was, I mean, I never counted. But it was hundreds of times a night. And in that extent, it was a bit unusual. I have never been in a place where people use Jesus Christ so, so completely, so, so commonly. I, I mean, usually it varies. So there was some, it was, it was unusual in this particular group of people. Could have happened for a lot of reasons. I got to quit analyzing and get on with my story. But the end, you know, the whole reason I'm doing this is maybe for me to more fully process the things that, that happened. So I apologize only slightly. But here we are. I'm going into my first night of a new psychological strategy that roughly consists of you do A, I do B. You do A, I do B. I'm committing to that. I go in, and immediately I walk in, and I'm expecting that like my whole night I'm going to have to be practicing this subroutine. But I go in, and the first person says, Jesus Christ, there was no outward sign. I'm confident of it, but I simply prayed for the person who had just spoken that way. Great big boulder right on the railway tracks that I'm going to attend to. Kind of odd. Um, it happened again, so two times, maybe three times it happened. And then it stopped. I mean, they still spoke the vulgarities. They still spoke the, the obscenities. But no one else spoke the name Jesus Christ until after our break. And it happened one more time, and I ran my little subroutine. They said A, and I did B. And it was done. I am, I mean, still when I speak it, I, I, what would it take to change a, a, an established pattern of speaking? I mean, we don't do that. People don't do that. What power? I mean, I, I am submitting to you that I think this is maybe one of the 
clearest miracles that I witnessed. And I am not submitting it so that you will be convinced by my miracle. You get your own miracles and be convinced by them. But I am telling you that I am convinced that, that something went on that I cannot, absolutely cannot explain. That there was some power from some source that was at work at a very, very deep level to disrupt established patterns of speaking. I mean, I, I have had people who came over to our house, wanted to honor our house. I, I, I was in the, in the army, okay? And uh, we would invite lots of people over. And they would come and they would, I thought the world of my wife and she would feed them. They wanted to honor our household and so they would purpose not to swear. And, and so with a very conscious effort to disrupt the patterns, they would not swear very much. Right? But, but patterns of speaking are especially something that may be triggered in this circuit that is so deep in, in us, you don't just change them. You, you listen to yourself speaking and you find that you have a, an awkward mannerism that you are inclined to use. And you say, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, well, I, I mean, it's like you, you've done it. You've done it so many times. So, so, so what would it take across a field of a dozen people to disrupt deeply ingrained patterns of speech. I mean, the point is that having just witnessed that and then coming to the possibility of the factuality that there is some substance in some fish, which may be extinct today, which creates a, a suspended animation type event, where somebody could be surrounded by some living organism's stomach and some, some chemical in there that would cause them to, to shut down but not die and retain for them uh, uh, the ability to, to, to fire neurons in their brain but to, to basically be in, a, in an oxygenless coma or possibly absorb oxygen from the stomach of the fish so that Wow, that is highly unlikely. Unlikely in the extreme. It would be miraculous. But I will tell you that at that moment, if you were to try to tell me, Jeremy, that is unlikely that there is such a fish. I get to stack it up against, it is unlikely that there is a force in this world that could take a group of 12 guys and disrupt deeply ingrained patterns of speech that are triggered by events that, that may completely bypass their conscious circuit. So if we are going to compare stories of which is more unlikely, 
I'm not sure which I would pick is more unlikely. And that is my point. So, so here's the pattern that I am suggesting to you. Attend to the truth claims. A totally different discussion. If you don't think that the Bible has any truth claims, then, then that's fine, okay? But if you think that the Bible has truth claims and you aren't sure how much that is based on factuality, I'm suggesting a different paradigm. So I'm suggesting first determine that you are interested. You, you purposely uninterest yourself. Is that a word? It will be for now. So purposely uninterest yourself. Divest yourself of any, any uh, investment in knowing whether it's true for me. Figure out whether it is true for you. Now, now that's, that's, I know that that's problematic. Because the idea is if it's true for you, then it's true for everyone. Because that's what truth means to me. And, and so, yes, I want you to believe that it's true for everyone, but I want you to focus on how you apply it to you, and I will focus on how I apply it to me. And that may totally be a dodge on my, on my part, right? I may say, you do you, and I'll do me, because I don't want to do me. Yes, but you can't change that. It's, it may be true. So, so, attend to the truth claims for you. Attend to the authority of Scripture without trying to adopt some of it for yourself so that you can tell others what they need to do. Attend to the truth claims for you. That's the first step. Now, the second step is attend to the truth claims before you evaluate the factuality. So attend to what is sort of on the surface, the truth claim. Now I will tell you that I think there, every time you encounter a truth claim, you're feeling layers of an onion. So, so you attend to one truth claim and very likely the story will, will show you that it has another level of truth claim and that's fascinating. And, and, and so, so one truth claim may lead you a long, long ways. Because after you unpack the first layer, you may find that there's another layer that you need to attend to. And that's not a negative thing. It's not a job that never gets finished. It is a, a portal. And the inside may be bigger than the outside. And that's exciting to me not to you. I, I, maybe it'll become exciting to you. I don't know. Okay, so so you do you, and I'll do you. And then I will attend to the authority of uh, the, the obvious level of authority, or I'm sorry, the obvious level of, of truth claim, and whether it has authority or relevance in my life. And then I will look at whether the story is likely factual or not. And I may find that having just witnessed a whole bunch of people change a pretty fundamental circuit in their brain 
with no other external, with no external reason, except that I bothered to attend to what they were saying in kindness rather than in anger. Because <clears throat> fundamentally, that's all that changed. Right? I used to be irritated by them, and I decided that I had the ability to, to lift their guilt by making sure that they didn't say the name of Jesus Christ in vain. That's, that's the only thing that changed. And yet somehow changing that did something at some level. Now you can analyze it any way you want. You can have it be angels and demons and, and, and the angels won because of something that unlocked it. Or you can have it be about psychological interconnections between people. I don't really care. All I'm telling you is that having attended to something that I was avoiding in a particular way might be significant that it was in kindness or in, in, in empathy. I don't know. But having attended to something that I was basically avoiding, I saw an incredible phenomenon that maybe doesn't make it quite to the point that I'm convinced that there is a, a particular fish that lived in the ocean that allowed there to be suspended animation. Maybe doesn't quite get me to the place where meter, how that word, meteorological patterns are disrupted based on the attitudes of individuals. I, I, maybe doesn't get me quite there. But boy, it moves me a long ways. Because since both are impossible, it's ridiculous for me to say one is easier than the other. If I can affect the complexity of the, a human brain using a particular word every time that something negative is triggered, this is, this is deep. If, if somehow I could disrupt that, then I don't know, maybe somehow I can disrupt the weather patterns. And then as soon as I say that, then why is it that there are, I think, three, four stories in the Bible that specifically deal with disrupting weather patterns? I think there might be more. Wow. I haven't thought about that before. Okay, so disrupting weather patterns seems to be one of these absolutely disconnected to fact um, claims that would make you dismiss the Bible. And yet, they just became a little more likely to me. A little bit less of a difficulty to, to swallow, even though I still said it could only happen if miracles are possible, and I don't know what miracles are. That's the whole point. That's why they're miracles. But the methodology, and this is the sum of what I have been trying to get to. I took you a long way around. I hope it's been interesting. But the point is, there's a different methodology. And that methodology... Let me try to sum it up. Not for you, although feel free to, to apply it, but to explain me. 
The methodology that I want to function under is a methodology that says I am solving this puzzle for no one but me. I'll do me, you do you. Are you honestly doing you? I don't know. I don't even know if I'm honestly doing me. So I am not equipped to figure out whether you're honestly doing you. But I do me, and you do you. Okay, that's a good that's a good starting point. The second is, as I try to sort out whether a particular verse in the Bible is truth embodied in a factual structure or in truth embodied in a mythological structure, don't start by analyzing whether it's fact or myth. Start by analyzing whether the truth is applicable to yourself. Look at the bare bones truth claim and say, hmm, am I in that situation? And you will always say, well, I'm in a similar situation. And hopefully at that point you will say, hmm, since I am in a similar situation and I am trying to avoid failing to attend to things which might benefit me to attend to, I am going to assume that it's similar enough to try to do something about it. I, I'm going to, to pretend that making garbage cans at Pawnee Rotational Molding is similar enough to going to Nineveh that since I don't want to miss the possible value of attending to this truth claim, I will apply it. It doesn't fit perfectly, but it fits close enough. And then fit it. Make your best attempt to fit it. And then, after you have observed the results, if you find it necessary, and again, it's not for other people, but then review the likelihood of that myth being somehow fact. And I don't know what you'll come up with. I will tell you what I have come up with. I'll try to tell you quickly and then wrap this up. But I will tell you that what I have come up with is that I believe that the Bible is incidentally It's an odd place to be. But because there are so many things that have been clearly stated as to be absolutely impossible to be true, and yet they found something, and it's fascinating work that's been done by some people who, oh, they were on the poll that said it's all factual. And because of that motivation, they dug up odd, odd facts. But it, it's, it's, there's, there are too many for me to dismiss. At a point when I was living in that world, viewing it from that perspective, I, I went to the uh, Creation Science Museum and I listened to, you know what, there, there's some fascinating work 
and particularly now in the modern area era when so many things are like computer modeled and that computer model tells us where to to look for for facts that confirm confirmation bias is a huge problem but anyway um i, I see huge gaps where if we if we changed our computer model, we might be looking for something different that we would find, and some people seem to be. Um, it, is, it is enough that I am not prepared to say this is mythological about any of the stories in the Bible. I will say it appears mythological. Certainly with the parables, I will say it appears mythological, and Jesus seems to be comfortable with you accepting it as mythological, but there may actually have been a guy. He may actually have had two sons. He might have told one of the sons to go and work, and he didn't. And the other said he wouldn't, and he did. It may be factual, historical. But it's incidentally historical. I, I, I wonder what would have happened in the modern age if, if, if we had treated Jonah and the big fish as incidentally factual. And instead of saying, okay, this is obviously not factual and we can dismiss it outright, and when we dismiss it, we can dismiss God's uh, promptings, which may be occurring in your life, but certainly occur in mine, to not leave significant things unattended. And to, and to venture out to attend to things that may not even be any of your business, but you see a way to go and do it. Like going to Nineveh. So instead of, what what if, I mean, this is a big what if, but what if instead of saying, okay, I don't have to do that and you can't make me because there's no way that a person could live for three days in a big fish. We had said, what if there is a fish that, that brings about this possibility of suspended animation? What if we attended to these obscure stories? I remember reading one about a, a person who fell over. This, this happened. They, 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 oh man, it was, it was like this Jonah and the whale story where this guy got swallowed and they pulled him out and he was still alive. Okay. I don't know. Maybe completely unreliable. Maybe superstitious sailors made up the story. Maybe people exaggerated how long But what if the same kind of effort had been made to search, to use this as, as the clue in a search for, for some suspended animation? Wow. I mean, would have been useful, right? Because right now, uh, I imposed a, 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 a coma. Putting someone in a coma so that they don't move around while they're in recovery is a common practice in medical. You get what I'm saying? If we treated this as, as the truth, the factuality, 
connection to the truth is incidental. The truth stands and you deal with the truth, but wow, it incidentally may be true. That describes my position. That's all I'm saying. I, I, I get I get wrapped up into imagining, but that is my position. I think a whole lot of the Bible is incidentally factual. But the methodology holds. I apply it to myself. I look at the truth claim. I try to apply the truth claim. And then if I'm inclined to do so, I consider the factuality, the likelihood of the factuality. It's a long journey to that point. You may think it's a long recording that gets me to that point, but it was a long, long journey that got me to be willing to approach the biblical record that way. I am grateful, even to the extreme position. I think that in this day and age, growing up under the extreme position that I did actually informs me better. The society around me is covering the other side. So I'm glad to grow up amongst those people. I don't agree with them. But I'm grateful to them. But that journey is something I, I, I hope you can very many, but for those who are around the same, that same pole as I am, hopefully this gives you a way to process it, and hopefully it gives you a methodology. I don't want you to think what I think. I want you to attempt what I've attempt, attempted. Apply this methodology. You draw your conclusions. I'd love to hear about them. That will conclude, finally. I'm out. It's, it's just frosty. There's a layer of frost on everything. The sun is up as clear as can be. And I've been walking along the railroad tracks. And uh, great morning. I'll continue my walk and we will talk to you later.